with you guys again on a lovely day. Isn't it a lovely day out there? It's gorgeous. Maybe a little humid for some, but I'll take it. I'll take a nice warm summer day. Today's been amazing so far. Um, I, I just loved our worship set as far as everything pushing us to focus on God and to really look to Him and lift Him up. But not just lift Him up. When we sang, show us your glory, right? There's a level of... Uh, just the mixture in that of like the intimacy that we have with God, but also the, uh, the fear of God, right? Because you don't see God's glory without realizing exactly who God is. And so in the midst of a series on spiritual conflict, um, I think it's important that we do, we do focus on, God, show us your glory. Show us who you are. Show us that you are the ultimate authority in everything that we're dealing with in life. And in so, then it lets us rest in who you are. And we don't strive in our own uh, abilities to try and make things happen, but we let God do what only God can. Because uh, like I've said before, um, we're talking about spiritual conflict and spiritual battles in our lives. And I will again say, everything is a spiritual battle. There's nothing you do in life that does not have a spiritual con context to it, a spiritual aspect to it. Everything you do has that spiritual level to it, right? Even if you were just to, if you're like looking at me going, Pastor Jeff, I don't know about that. Everything, everything, even if you take scripture as far as just do everything unto the Lord. You take that right there and if you apply that scripture to your life, it became spiritual. Everything you do, you do unto the Lord. And if you do that, then you're, you're, you're making it a spiritual uh, event or a spiritual moment, which means there's going to be conflict. Your flesh, the enemy, the world is going to be at conflict with you doing it unto the Lord. And so we need to understand the spiritual conflicts that we're facing. And we're working our way through the summer on dealing with spiritual conflict, understanding it, and being able to move forward in it. And so hopefully you've been, um, I don't know if blessed is the right word, challenged, um, maybe uh, focused on looking at your life, how you live your life, and seeing the spiritual conflicts that are there, and how you can address them in the authority that God's given you. And last week we did talk about authority, because authority is, uh, it is knowing whose you are, right? It's not just about knowing who you are, which is what we'd say is authenticity, right? Knowing uh, who you are, who God made you up, which could include all sorts of things, gender, sexuality, ethnicity, personality, your spiritual gifts, your natural gifts and abilities, your acquired skills, knowing who you are, but knowing whose you are is where authority comes from. And that's where we've, we've uh, really been looking at as far as getting this authority for a spiritual conflict. Because whether you're lost or found, positioned inside or outside of Christ, that is where you find your authority. Now, the power of the Holy Spirit, it's held in that authority, right? The, the right to use the power that God uh, for God's purposes, right? We talked about dunamis and exousia, right? We talked about those two things, the dunamis, the power, and the exousia, the right to use that power for God's purposes. Now, in an older version of the Spider-Man movies, I'm not sure if any of you are aware of those uh, movies, but I have a couple of kids that, that love Spider-Man and things like that, uh, mostly the new movies. But the older movies, there was a scene in one of them where Peter Parker, who is the Spider-Man character, he's there with his uh, uncle. His uncle's name is Ben. And his uncle is coming to a, a tragic end in this moment. And he says to Peter, he says, Peter, with great power comes great responsibility. Now, this became known because this was, wow, that was a while ago that, that version of the movie came out. Uh, but this became known as the Peter Parker Principle, right? They love alliteration just like pastors do. But it became known as the Peter Parker Principle because to a world that doesn't know Jesus and isn't involved in the church, 
That seems like a novel concept, a novel idea that with great power comes great responsibility. But if we are seekers of truth and seekers of God's word, we would know that in Luke 12, 48, there's a parable about the faithful servant, and it says something along these lines, to whom much is given, much is required. Which sounds an awful lot like with great power comes great responsibility. Because when God has given much, he requires much. And here's the thing. That responsibility that we talk about there, it's closely tied to and often synonymous with another word, accountability. Accountability. If I am responsible for a certain task, I am the one, right, who must account for the outcome of that task. So responsibility and, and uh, accountability are are often synonymous. And they are given to you or entrusted to you by the person who's given you the task or by the right or the, the position you've put yourself in in that moment, right? So we, we look at things that way, where authentic, or our authority and our authenticity based on the power that we have requires responsibility or accountability. And like I said, whether it's authority, authenticity, or power, if we, were to, if we were to walk worthy to be called followers of Jesus, to be called Christians or little Christs, one thing has to become clear to us. We need to understand accountability and its role in how we are being formed in our choices and in our lives and in our discipleship. See, here's the thing. No one... Not one of us, not me, not you, can just walk into all the things that God has prepared for you to do. We love those verses in the Bible that talk about God has prepared amazing things for us to do. And then we get to live out that purpose for God or with God. And we just get to step into those things. Now here's the thing, to step into the purposes, plans that God has for you requires God's power, but then it also requires accountability because that power can be misused it can be misused and do so much harm to ourselves and to others we need others in our lives to help us be more like Jesus to die to ourselves to do the hard things that we don't want to do it is all to grow us to be more like Jesus and who he created us to be now, because that's true, or not just because it's true, there is no level of accountability. And this is something we need to understand. There is no level of accountability that can make you the person you don't wish to become. Do you understand that? No matter what your accountability partner does to you, for you, or whatever, they're not going to make you become who you're supposed to be. They can call you out, call you up, point at you when you're doing things wrong. But if you don't want to change, it doesn't matter what your accountability partner or person says to you in your life. That's one thing I, in, in working with youth in, in previous years of ministry, I always tried to instill in them is that there's, it's such a big rage to talk about having your quote-unquote accountability partners, especially when it comes to young men and, like, and understanding uh, sexuality and the, the visual world around them and not getting involved in things like pornography and things like that. To have a quote-unquote accountability person, partner, a person that can hold you to account to make sure that you're, you're uh, honoring people the way they should be honored, honoring women, honoring sexuality the way it should be. Here's the thing, though. Your accountability partner can call you out on stuff, but if you don't want to change, you're not going to change. And I try to instill that in, in youth to know that it's up to you. You choose an accountability partner because you don't want them to call you up and say, hey, have you been looking at things you, haven't, you shouldn't be doing? Or you don't want them to be the one reaching out to inform or, or ask you about things. Your accountability partner is someone that you say, I need somebody safe to confess to, to admit to, to talk to when I'm feeling weak, before I actually cross the line. I need somebody that I can talk to, that I can hold in confidence, that's not going to be like, you want to do what? You're so weak as a Christian. That's not going to judge you, but hold you closely. We need accountability. 
Now, that doesn't mean we don't stop discussing or working on our accountability or what it looks like, because the damage done in a life lived without accountability, uh, it shows up. Whether people know you have that accountability or not, whether they think you do or not, it's going to show up. And here are some symptoms I want you to think through as far as what it looks like to live without accountability. It could look like this, where we trust our feelings and our thoughts or status as indicators of authority and obedience to God's word. You could come up on stage and sing or, 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 or preach or do announcements or be a part of a prayer ministry and everybody goes, wow, they must be right up here. And your status and your thoughts and feelings about the position you have puts you in a place where you think you're good. That's not safe. Where we dismiss honest feedback from people who we know, we love, and trust. Somebody who says something to us and says, hey, hey, have you thought about this or this behavior? And they just ask an honest question about something they see in our lives. And we blow it off and we dismiss it and, and disregard it. Or we only wish to be cheer-led instead of coached or counseled or called higher. We just want people saying, yeah. Pastor Jeff, you're amazing. You're such a good preacher. You just like, it's amazing. And that's all we want to hear. Just keep going with that versus like, you know, uh, pushing us all farther because we're all a part of the body of Christ. We need to be driven closer to Jesus. How about this? We live lives with a we are better than other individuals or groups of people. You look at your life and you look around and you're saying, well, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. When I look around at the rest of the people in Cornwall or some of the other people in the church, I think I'm actually, I'm doing pretty good in my discipleship with Jesus. I'm following him pretty good compared to, you know, buddy over there. And we're using that as our measuring stick for how well we're doing. When we sin, we don't confess it. We diminish it, justify it, cover it up. Instead of establishing healthy boundaries, we erect unhealthy walls around our hearts and we have we have protections that we put up in it but it's not about protecting us from going to places we shouldn't but it's about protecting others from seeing the true nature of our heart and because we don't have a trusted place or person we don't know where and when to be vulnerable we don't know how to reach out to somebody and say this is where i'm i'm at right now this is what i'm going through because we don't know when and where we can be vulnerable. We don't know who to be vulnerable with. Here's the thing. In Ephesians 25, 27, it says this, therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another, one body as a church. Be angry and do not sin, which is interesting, right? We can be angry about things without sinning. We can, we can have a righteous anger about, about the condition of where our heart sometimes is and what's going on without sinning. Because the sin is where we turn it into judgment. And we look at things and we get angry and we judge ourselves or we judge others and we put each other down rather than uh, bring it out to light and to confess it. So do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Again, this is all spiritual conflict. And accountability is a huge part of us understanding how we can work through this conflict. Accountability, in that sense then, must accomplish two things for it to be healthy. First, it must help us put away that falsehood, or we could use the word false narratives. The stories that we try to tell ourselves about the way things are actually going that aren't true and aren't accurate. When we look at our lives and how we're doing things and we're trying to justify what we're doing, we come up with a a storyline that's inaccurate to the truth. And we we follow that storyline rather than the truth. So we need to put away those things, which can only usually happen when, the second thing, we have someone that we trust enough to speak love and truth to us. So we need to put away those falsehood or the false narratives, the lies that we tell ourselves about where we're really at. And we need to do so by allowing someone to, in love, speak truth to us. To look at this, uh, we need to to see that, again, this is, again, like I said, spiritual conflict. 
There's a war being raged right now. And you are the battleground. You are the battleground. And how we deal with the authenticity, the authority, and the power that we gain from Christ is not a done deal. We don't just get this power and then we move on. Everything's good. Just like being a parent, right? It's, it's pretty straightforward. Most of us understand the idea of how to become a parent, the, the biological uh, necessities to become a parent. But just because you can do that, it doesn't mean... Uh, you, you have the biological and authentic rights of parenthood in that moment, but that does not ensure that a healthy home is going to follow, does it? It doesn't at all. So neither does what we receive from God in spiritual authority ensure that we're not going to mess it up or that we're not going to live it out in a healthy way. And again, since everything is spiritual, that parenthood piece is a spiritual piece as well. Now, we can look at how this plays out in life, uh, in the life of our culture, in our church, in relationships. From the earliest days of the church till now, we consistently see through Scripture the role that accountability played. We can see how the early church leaders were consistently going to the church and saying, all right, let's hold you to account to this faith that we have been given. Let's hold you to account to what God has asked us to do. Let me lovingly point out some things that you are airing on, some false narratives that you're telling yourselves about the way you can live that aren't true and get you back on track. We need to apply that to our own lives because when we don't, the damage is done. And so some questions that we need to ask ourselves and wrestle with today are this. How can accountability help restore our damaged Christian witness in the world today? How can accountability help restore our damaged Christian witness in the world today? It doesn't take uh, very many headlines in the news today to see that a faith perspective in the world is not held in high regard. And a lot of that has to do with the misuse and abuse of authority that the church and individuals within the church has had. And so we need to ask ourselves how accountability can restore that uh, witness. Second question, how do we steward God's power and authority well? Because none of us can do it perfectly. None of us are going to get it right all the time. But how do we steward it well? And how do we collectively do that with accountability to make sure that we're doing the best we can? And number three, what are some healthy steps that we can take today? How do you and I start today to live out this, this spiritual conflict with authority and accountability? And as we look through those three questions, we need to ask this question as well. What has God placed in your hands? What authority, what power, what position do you have that needs accountability? Because if we don't do that, if we don't ask that question, if we don't assess the role that we have in this and the power that we have individually, we don't do that, what it quickly turns into is we start looking around the room and looking at others and saying, what power does that person have? What power does Jeff have? What power does Norm have at the back there? We need to keep an eye on that guy and the power that he has. We start asking those questions and it turns into a judgmental attitude within us. We become, we become the accountability police, pointing out the things that we're doing right and wrong and everything like that. And that's not what we need here. So we need to make sure we ask what God has placed in our hands. Now, Paul, in, in talking about some of the things, like I said, in, in the New Testament, he lists different delegated levels of authority that we can be entrusted with in our lives. And I want to touch on a few of them this morning that, that are touch points for us to start with. They're not the be-all, end-all list, but there's some hot-button ones that we can work through uh, as far as understanding how God wants to look at authority and accountability in those relationships, in those moments. But I trust that you'll take it and you'll look at what God has placed in your hands and see how you can apply it even further. So the first one is this. Now, this one should get you going right off the start. Ephesians 5, 22, 23, 25, 26. <laughs> Wives, submit. 
End of sentence? No. Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Wow. We're diving right into it, aren't we, this morning? Talking about accountability and authority and positions and what's going on. The Bible says that the, the husband is supposed to be ahead of the family, ahead of the relationship. But what does that actually look like? In an in unhealthy way, in an unhealthy situation, the man gets to sit back and say, that's right. Submit, wife, and everything will be fine. Look at the way this relationship's supposed to be. There's God, there's me, then there's you. If we get that order right, we're good to go. <laughs> but that's, that's not what we actually read here. That's not what we read here. That's where we, when we look at all those ways that we don't have accountability, how we can misconstrue authority to what we want it to be. That's what we mash it into and meld it into it. And unfortunately, through time, have seen the, the repression of women and in, in a, in a husband-wife relationship. We've seen it so much, even within the church, because we misalign what Scripture is telling us. The authority which God owns in that situation, again, delegated authority, the authority and responsibility, the accountability we have is given and entrusted to us. And we have to take account and give account for how we use that authority. He delegates to a husband to steward that authority. But husbands are given a specific instruction in how they are to steward that delegated authority. If you're a husband in the house today or on Zoom today, you are to love your wives as Christ loved the church. Think of that. Think of how Christ has loved us. Think of what he has done for us. Think of how he exerted authority over that relationship. What did he do? Do everything and anything possible to serve the church, serve the body of Christ, serve those who were coming to follow him. He washed their feet. He met with them when they were, they were uh, so far gone from what God's intended purpose for their lives was. He died on a cross for them. Now, if, if, if husbands were to say that, take up that challenge and say, all right, I see, I see what's supposed to happen here. That's how I'm supposed to love my wife. I'm supposed to love her in a way that lifts her up and, and positions her to be seen as a crown jewel of God. That's my role is to be pushing her ever higher and doing whatever it takes for me to do that. Then it becomes much easier for in a loving relationship for a wife to say, all right, I can follow this leadership because this leadership does everything possible to make my life everything that God wants my life to be. That's amazing. That, that, that's great. That's, a, that's an amazing mutual relationship of, of, of submission and, and working together towards God's purposes. That frees a, a wife in that relationship to say, I can, I can follow you because you are altruistically looking and saying, God, help me understand who you created my wife to be, what your purposes and plans are for her so I can come underneath her, support her, and see her do that. That's amazing. That's what we're called to do. Now, husbands, to hold that tension well, we need genuine accountability. We need to put away any false narratives of false storylines of what we're supposed to do and how that's supposed to look like in our lives. We need to listen first to our spouses who say, honey, do you really think that this is God's best for us in our relationship and in our future? And we need to listen to other godly men and women around us who can help guide us in living that life of being a husband and loving our wives like Christ loved the church. It takes all of us to be able to do that together. So husbands, we can all do better. We can all look to each other and say, help, let's help each other love our wives, love our spouses as Christ 
loved the church. All right, second one we can dive into here where accountability and authority and things like that, especially within the church, within uh, the body of believers, we can sometimes get out of alignment in. Ephesians 6, 1 and 4 says this, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. End sentence, end sentence right there. Right? We want to end it right there. Just obey. What I say goes around the house, right? Father speaks, children do. That's the way it should be, right? But dot, 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 continue. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And again, when we tie those things together, what is the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Is it to do what dad says or else you... Is, is that the discipline and instruction of the Lord? That doesn't look like what David looked like in, in the Bible when he was a man after God's own heart and he just loved God and worshiped God, wrote songs to God and followed God. When we want our children to do that, be children whose hearts are after God, instructing them and bringing them to the discipline of the Lord. Yes, there's a, there's a structure to it and saying, this is the way of God that we are to walk. And under my house, this is what is expected as far as character, responsibility, and things like that. But beyond that, it's to do it in love. If we serve our, our, our spouses as Christ served the church, what does that mean about our relationship with our children? Again, the authority, which is God's, in raising our children and having authority in that situation. He delegates that responsibility to parents. We are to give account for what we do with not children, not our children, they're not our property, but with God's children that he has entrusted to us, with individual humans that are just as valuable as we are. Parents, we have to steward this well. They need genuine relationship with honest accountability. We need to bring them up. And in doing so, we're bridging the gap between where they are and where God is growing them to be. A line I often use in this is this, is that we're supposed to be the compass that points them to God until they can hold that compass on their own and find their way with God wherever he is leading them. Until that point, you're holding the compass for them, helping them use it to say, what does God say? What does God say? Look, look where he's pointing your life. Look at what he wants you to pursue. Look what you're chasing after with God. Look at, let's look at this compass together and see the direction that God is pointing you in, and let's walk there. Until they know how to use that compass on their own, you're there as a parent, helping them way find their way back home to Jesus. That's what we're doing. Again, we can take that out of context as parents, can't we? And live with this different authority and, and lack of accountability in those relationships. We tie those two together with spouses. And I know it sounds like I'm beating up on dads right now and husbands right now, but I'm not. This is, this is all of us. We can apply it to uh, both relationships with parents and spouses and how we're supposed to do this. But guys particularly in our culture, has been kind of like, I work hard. You know, I go to the office, I work 40, 50, 60 hours. I want to be able to come home, kick back, relax, and, you know, dinner's on the table and my kids are quiet. That's what I'm looking for in life. That is such a misalignment of the authority and the role that God has for, for fathers and husbands to take. So we just need to take account of that and, and hold ourselves to account for that. And so we, we do so today. We ask God to bring to light anything that is in the shadows so that he can correct it in our lives. All right, again, if we go back to the songs we sang, we, you sang it, you asked for it. You said, show me your glory. You said, show me your glory, God. Lives changed. That's accountability, right? Hearts healed. How many wives need a heart healed because their husband hasn't been treating them right? How many kids need a heart healed because their parents haven't been bringing up the way they need to be brought up? There's lots of things that we sang when we sang, show us your glory. That's why I warned you. There's, there's the lovey-dovey side of Jesus in that, but there's also the fear of God in that going, dear Lord, do I have some work to do to look more like you? All right, third one, because I don't want you to feel like I'm beating up in you at all. Please don't hear that. This is about us understanding spiritual conflict because everything we do in life is a spiritual conflict. You are a battleground and the devil does not want you to win in Christ. 
He wants you to be dragged down in the midst and the muck of all of this and not see the authority and the freedom you have in Christ. All right, let's go on. This one can be a little bit trickier for some people because of the way the Bible talks about it. But the New Testament, I want you to hear this. The New Testament always assumes that human trafficking of any sort is always sinful. It's always sinful. Right? In 1 Timothy 1.10.10, 10, 10, we're not going to have these scriptures up on the screen, but if you need to write it down just to confirm what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy 1.10 uh, and Revelation 18.11-13. You can look up those two scriptures. They'll specifically speak to slavery and, and any type of human trafficking as just, it just de facto is not right. Okay? It'll talk about the ungodly who deal with slavery and who deal with the, uh, the profits of slavery and human trafficking. It just states it, not, matter of fact, that's wrong. God doesn't like it. So that's, that's the New Testament perspective on it. But God uses, or the Bible uses, three words in it that, um, that we can often confuse. He uses slave, bondservant, and servant. And we often confuse those and mash them together to mean the same thing. And sometimes our English words, we translate it as the same thing. Uh, you know, I'm a slave, I was a slave to sin and now I'm a slave to the gospel and things like that. And then we take that and we go like, okay, I thought slavery was bad. And our English language does a little bit of morphing on it. But Paul speaks directly to about the idea of delegated authority with bond servants. Again, slaves, human trafficking, sin, no matter what. Bond servants. Uh, the idea of indenturing oneself to a quote-unquote master for uh, wages and for accommodation and things like that, where there was an agreement between the two as far as saying, I don't, I don't have a means of income on my own. You're uh, a wealthy entrepreneur, business person who needs people to work for you. I will become a bond servant where you agreed to give me accommodation and food and whatever I need while I work for you. There's these relationships that they were. It wasn't quite like what we do now where, you know, we have job postings and interviews and hirings and things like that. But it, it was their version, an, an antiquated version of those things where there's bosses, managers, supervisors, leaders, and others. And he speaks to those type of authorities, right? And he says this, in Ephesians 6, 5, and 9. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling and with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Then he says, masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is, um, there is no partiality with him. Whether you're an employer or an employee, whether you're a manager or you're being managed, sometimes micromanaged, no matter the situation you find yourself in, God has a clear path to how we're supposed to act. Obey, respect, honor, right? As you would with a sincere heart towards Christ. That is how we're supposed to work these things out. There's even a... a, a uh, um, we see an example of this in the New Testament where Paul is speaking to one of the brothers in Christ about one of his bondservants, slaves, that has escaped and ran away because the relationship was a little tenuous. Something had happened in the relationship where it didn't go well. And this, this servant's name was Onesimus. And Onesimus had gone to another city and somehow he'd ran across uh, Paul and got in connection with Paul. And Paul heard about the dis disagreement that he had with them. And he sends Onesimus back with greetings and saying, saying to them, listen, you take him back, but you take him back as your brother. He's no longer your bond servant, your slave, your whatever. He is your brother. And you see each other as brothers. Does that mean their relationship changed as far as potentially what the working relationship was at that moment? Not necessarily, but that's how they're supposed to treat each other and honor each other. And there's a very good likelihood that that Onesimus was the one who became one of the bishops of, uh, I think it was Ephesus, a little later on. And that that relationship was transformed because there was accountability in that relationship of how they treat each other. Paul says to those with delegated authority, bosses, managers, leaders, supervisors, over others, just because in this world you have been given a different power over another, don't think that makes you better than them, more valuable than them. The onus is on you as that leader to model your life 
and leadership on Jesus, not on the culture of leadership around you. Finally, Paul in another book, he, he speaks to a young pastor named Timothy that he had been apprenticing and discipling about how he is to steward his delegated authority within the church. It says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that happens. So we need to look at how do we have accountability around teaching and around what God needs for the body of Christ to hear. Because this happens, this happens all the time. Paul brings accountability by advising Timothy to watch for two things. He says this in, 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 uh, later in, in verse 16. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. So the first thing he says is that you need to watch what you're teaching, Timothy. Don't let yourself get off into, into tangents of teachings that are, are not going to lead the body of Christ where the body of Christ needs to go. So watch yourself in that. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So it's, on, it's, it's holding the teacher accountable to what they're supposed to be teaching and looking to teach. Watch yourselves in that. We are to watch the affections of our hearts in the doctrine handed down to us, that we stay true to what the Bible says. And the only way we accurately watch the affections of our heart is with the help of others. Because to be like Christ, each of us will need to be cheered, coached, again, but also critiqued and counseled. Charles Kraft says this, Practicing obedience to the one under whose authority we operate teaches us how to exercise the authority he delegates to us. As we obey, we become more like him, both in character and in our relationships with those under our authority. I would say the best leader is often the best follower, right? As in, uh, when you say that properly, often great followers make great leaders. When they understand the chain of authority and how to follow somebody, they can then lead well, all right? So we want to be that. We want to be great followers of Jesus, great followers of his word, so that when it comes to being in a position of authority, we understand what that looks like. Each of us, I mean, where am I saying? The, the opposite is equally true. The more we believe that we are better than others, the more disobedient to Christ we become. If you think you're better than somebody else, you find yourself actually being less like Jesus, less Christ-like. And the more potential there is for abuse of power, abuse of authority in our lives, marriages, families, churches, and workplaces. Just think about that. Think about what the examples you see in the Bible. Those who thought they were better than others you see how the misalignment of their hearts swayed them away from looking anything like Jesus. So we need to watch that. Each of us individually and all of us collectively, we are accountable to one another. And it is vital that every follower of Jesus has people who can provide honest feedback and who can call us higher in our obedience to Jesus and the way we live and where applicable Exercise authority over others. In 1 Corinthians 13, 6, it says this, Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the, with the truth. We rejoice with the truth. And if we love each other, we don't rejoice in seeing others have problems, but we rejoice in seeing that truth highlighted and elevated and exposed so that we can deal with it. I want to, in my life, I want, to, I want to rejoice in the truth, even when the truth hurts. I want to rejoice in that so that it can only draw me closer to Jesus. And I hope you have the same heart too. That even when there's hard things that we need to address in our lives, hard truths that we need to, we need to face, we do so uh, with rejoicing because of what it does with our relationship with God and others. Even with all this, sometimes... With all the accountability and with everything else, the end result isn't justice. There's still abuse. There's still a misalignment and a, and a misuse of power 
and authority in our lives. And even when the outcome is the opposite of how a Christian should have behaved, this is what we do. We hold on to a promise. And the promise is this. We see in Ecclesiastes 3.17 that God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I want you to pay attention to the first word of that verse. God. God will judge. So even when there's injustice, even when there's those moments, we have a responsibility to each other to hold each other to account. But account isn't judging. Account is let's work towards what God's standard is. Let's, let's draw each other closer to Jesus. Judging is left up to God, and he will take care of that. And so we rest in that promise that God will take care of the judging. We lovingly work on each other. Love rejoices, right? Does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And so as we lovingly bring truth to each other in uh, open and vulnerable and safe relationships, when we do so, we draw each other closer to Jesus. And when that fails, we let God be the judge. When looking for people to help uh, you out to look more like Jesus, you're going to need time. None of us are going to do this overnight. You may be looking and hearing what I've talked about today and going, man, ouch, I got some work to do. And you hope by Monday evening, you've got it all sorted out. Chances are, it's not going to be that way. Chances are, there's some rooted behaviors, some rooted ideas. There's, there's things that, that were modeled for you uh, when you were a child, when, when you've been growing up in the business world or wherever, that are hard to break. There's going to be moments where your response to something is going to, is going to feel like you want to just, uh, and it's going to take some time for God to work that out and root that out to turn into uh, the responses that God has for us. In Luke 6, 43 to 44, it says this, For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. So listen to this. Given enough time, our lives will produce what we abide in. Your life will produce what you abide in. But here's the great thing. All right? Here's the great thing. that God is our vine dresser. He is the gardener. He can graft what you think. If you think you've grown up in a bramble bush or in a thicket or wherever, he can graft you into his tree, his vine, where you can produce fruit that comes from him when you abide in him. None of us are a lost cause. None of us are perfect, but none of us are a lost cause. Our unhealed hearts sometimes and our sin can disqualify us from stewarding our authority well. Sometimes that sin can disqualify us for, for using our authority for a season. Sometimes it can be a lifetime because of the, the ramifications and the, the things that we've done. It can, it can make some of the authority choices that we might have had not available to us. And that's just something we've got to come to grips with. But authority is both, like I said, a responsibility and a privilege. And we are steward both well in accountable relationships. And when we steward improperly, we we can and should lose both those things. We should lose both the responsibility and our privilege to hold that authority over others. Charles Spurgeon said it this, consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. How precious each soul is that both God and the devil are after it. And God has asked us to partner with him in, in reaching people and in being in authority over people and having those relationships with people. So for all those precious souls that we are a part of and that we lead and we guide, let's hold them as precious as God does. So let me close with a couple of questions for you. These are your take-home questions, your homework, or your, your assignments based off of your answers of these questions. And they're all in-your-life questions. So in your life, again, what has God placed in your hands? What authority has he delegated to you? What position do you have that you need to take account for? 
that somebody, and eventually God, is going to hold you to account for. What has he placed in your hands? Number two, who helps you to be more like Jesus? Who is helping hold you to account when it, when it comes to following Jesus? Is there people that I could ask them and they would say, yep, yeah, yeah, I'm totally holding that person to account. We have that type of relationship. I'm a safe person for them to confess, talk to, and, and work things out with. Would they know that they're your accountability partner? Or are you just thinking that they are? Number three, where regarding Jesus are your beliefs being formed and shaped? When regarding your faith in discipling Jesus, in discipling and looking more like Jesus, where are you being formed? Is it here? Is it in community? Is it online? Is it with who is uh, speaking into your life and helping disciple you to look more like Jesus? Because the voices you listen to and the people you follow are going to form your spiritual, your life and how you live. So where are you getting that information and who are you following when you do so? I know it's not going to be only my voice. It's going to be the Bible. It's going to be others. But make sure you're choosing good voices to listen to in shaping your, your uh, spiritual authority. Number four, how open are you to putting away false narratives and receiving the truth and love from someone? How open to you are, are, are you to that? If someone were to approach you and say, listen, hey, I want to speak this in love in your life, how would you take that? If they were to say, you're not a good boss, you know, you, you're treating your employees poorly, or, you know, there's some work I think we can do on being better dads or moms or spouses. There's some work we can do on honoring each other better. How open to that are you? Or do you think you'd be very offended if somebody came and said, there might be a little bit of work that Jesus wants to do in your life? Those are four questions that can bite us, but also draw us closer to Jesus. And I hope they help you this week. As a focus to close, Luke 12, 1 to 3 says this, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and whatever you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. We want to make sure that as we follow Jesus, we don't let the leaven of the, the Pharisees and hypocrisy be a part of our lives because those things that are done in secret when we think nobody knows and nobody sees they will be exposed and we say it as a, a finger waving thing that maybe from years gone by but be sure your sins will find you out right it may not be when you want or when you think or but here's the thing you do have some power in that you do have some power of when your junk will come to light it can come to light in a, safe, in a safe environment, in a safe relationship where you can confess, or it can come to light in a, in a way that you don't want it to. It can come to light where you're exposed for a double standard that you have in your life. And I pray that you would choose the first, not the latter. You would look to have those safe, vulnerable relationships that can help you bring you closer to what God wants you to be. Let's pray. Let's pray right now that God uh, would see those hidden things come to light so that God can set us free. And he would start in our hearts, in our families, in our neighborhoods, and it would spread out. God, we do want you to show us your glory. We do want all that you have for us. We do want lives changed and healed and people to be set free, God. We do want all of your presence in us, God, as much as we can possibly handle. We want you alive in us, your spirit alive in us, leading us and guiding us. That is what we want in our hearts, God. But in order to live that out in a healthy way, we know it needs accountability. Because when you delegate authority, when you delegate power, when you delegate position to us, God, it can lead us to want to use those things in our own selfish ways. And so God, I just pray that this, this day, today, as we leave this place, you would expose in our hearts to us those dark places, those hidden things, that they would come to light in us so that we can hold ourselves accountable with others. 
We can bring those things to light and clean them out so that we can follow you the best way we possibly can. God, may we do that individually. May we do that in our relationships. Whether if we are married, may we do that with our spouse. If we have children, may we do that with our children. If we hold authority and position in the church, may we, may we guard those things and hold those things uh, with, with, as precious in your sight, God. May we as a church look at how we can, we can redeem and restore our relationship with the culture around us through accountability. How we can restore your name and maybe how we've tarnished your name because of how we've misused and abused the authority that you gave us. God, may we look to accountability as not something that that, uh, holds us back and restrains us from freedom, but rather it's something that does free us to actually live out the life that you've given us, God, that allows us to flourish and produce the fruit that you have for us in our lives. Every good gardener knows that they need to prune back and and control the growth of a tree or a a fruit tree or, or what's growing in order to maximize the fruit on it. So God, may you continue to prune in us so that we can maximize the fruit that you have for us. Because that fruit is only produced because of who you are, your spirit alive in us. Your spirit, the power of your spirit in us to do these things, God. So we invite your accountability into our lives. We invite your spirit to convict us. And God, we assess who it is in our lives that we can have in our lives that can be safe people to confess and be open with that allows us to move forward with you, God. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.